0: Hello and welcome. Today I want to talk about avoidance. How it's kind of like a pressure cooker that leads to explosions. The topics that we have set up for today are the shutdown and the stonewall, procrastinating pain, it's not all that bad, and should we outgrow our avoidance. Before we get into today's topic, some friendly reminders to subscribe to my channel and be sure to get some time outside today. Wherever you're watching this from, at least where I am, it's a beautiful day. It's not too hot, not too cold. And there's some clouds in the sky, but they're white and fluffy and pretty and not rain clouds. So if it's rained all week where you are, remember we're like glorified houseplants. And we need some sunshine sometimes. I love, I actually, I love when the weather gets warmer. When it's winter, I'm all sweaters and elastic waistbands. And now that it's a little bit nicer out, I'm wearing some fun shirts. And also still, the elastic waistbands. (laughs) What can you do? Anyway, moving on to our first topic, the shutdown and the stonewall. I also want to talk about this topic because it's something, well, I believe we all deal with at some degree or another, but it's something that I deal with, especially when it's something that's uncomfortable for me. (laughs) Um, And I don't think that it's always something that happens maliciously. Sometimes it's just something that just happens and it doesn't necessarily need to have a big reason. It just does. So anyway, moving us into our first topic of the shutdown and the stonewall. Okay, so the first thing that we can say is what is avoidance? Avoidance is difficulty expressing vulnerability due to fear of judgment or rejection. That's, I think, pretty common. If you don't think that your peers are going to accept the thing that you have to say, then you might Just kind of avoid saying it, or you might prolong saying it, even if you intend on doing it eventually. Now I want to talk about the consequences a little bit of this. The consequences being, first of all, with other people's perception. So this topic is about shutting down or stonewalling people. If you're not sure what stonewalling is, that's like icing people out. That's the silent treatment. Or treating people like they just don't exist because you have difficulty explaining your emotions. That is not good. That is not healthy whatsoever. And shutting down is, honestly, it looks the same, but it's not the same. Shutting down is having difficulty describing your emotions because you either lack the emotional intelligence or you lack the emotional language to be able to label your feelings. Now, I shut down sometimes. When I'm experiencing big feelings, it can be difficult for me to label them and explain them. And I just kind of feel like there's no possible way the other person can understand how I'm feeling exactly in this moment. So for me, this means that I take a lot of time to process things. And really the difference in shutting down versus stonewalling, in my opinion, is whether or not you actually ignore the person. So when I shut down emotionally around a problem... I shut down around that problem, not around the person. So if they want to ask me how my day is or if they have something else to talk about that's, like, important information for them to share, then I will I will listen to them and I will respond. To, I will respond to the best of my ability. But shutting down means I kind of get, like, tunnel vision and I can't really break away from the problem that I'm experiencing. It's difficult to talk about it until I've processed it. Not difficult to talk to the person, but difficult to dissect that problem. The problem with either shutting down or stonewalling is other people's perception. They can feel isolated or iced out, and they have no control over the access that they have to you, and they deeply, deeply require a release of tension. I've had people stonewall me and shut me out, and it's tense. You feel like you're walking on eggshells, and the biggest time that this happens is either in a romantic relationship or when you're living with somebody. It can be very, very challenging. It's not a fun feeling to be on the receiving end of somebody who stonewalls or shuts down. This can actually also come from your necessity. Sometimes you need this processing space. Potentially you feel like it's unsafe to share, or potentially you came from a place growing up where it was unsafe to share, and this is just a habit that you've carried forward. As I said, you're unable to process and name your feelings in the moment, and you may require some processing time before or during big talks. Shutting down is different than stonewalling. Stonewalling is a defense mechanism, otherwise known as the silent treatment. intentionally blocks communication with someone in order to feel in control of an argument or an outcome. Not responding, looking through them, complete ice. This is sometimes followed by completely ignoring the original problem and just trying to go back to the way that things were before you had this disagreement and never ever actually dissecting what just happened. (laughs) Shutting down is also a defense mechanism, but it looks different because it stems from a different place. They may have tunnel vision around this problem, and they want to talk to you to face the problem, but they don't possess the language or processing skills to do so in your timeline. The key characteristic here is whether or not they shut you out around regular schmangular conversations if you engage with them differently. In other words, are they giving you the silent treatment or avoiding the original topic that led to their tunnel vision? Now, both of these things, stonewalling and shutting down, stem from avoidance. The problem with avoidance in relationships is it leads to misunderstanding. You may be shutting down, but your partner feels stonewalled. Or someone may be stonewalling and their partner doesn't know what they possibly did to deserve such treatment, in which case a stonewaller succeeds in their original goal to protect their vulnerability, but their partner will continue to put them in a vulnerable state until they draw that line. Avoidance comes in many forms, some laced with malice and others from a place of necessity but ultimately it delays healthy communication and flourishing relationships. And ultimately we want flourishing relationships. So for me, this means I like to have my processing time. I like to, if there's a disagreement or a problem, I like to take space, but I also like to have a time limit on that space so that I'm not making somebody feel like I'm just ignoring the problem and I will never ever talk to them about that problem. I have to make sure that they're aware that we will talk about this, tomorrow morning, or we will talk about this within the next week, depending on what it is, but yeah. I don't like to be the person who shuts down, but it happens. I can't necessarily help it. All I can do is practice facing things head on. (laughs) Moving on to our next topic of procrastinating pain. Change in avoidance is born from the idea that both options suck, which option sucks less. For example, If your avoidance causes you to stack up bills every month and you realize the stress of the bank calling you is worse than going without your instant gratification impulse purchases, then you'll give up your impulse purchases and become better with your money. This happens because you decided the bank calling you sucks. Nobody likes when the bank calls, in which case the consequence for avoiding the problem becomes worse than the consequence for changing. I hope that makes sense. (laughs) For me, the process of working through avoidance looks like if I want to do something I know will help me grow, then I have to give up X. And then I go through, how does my whole identity change when I don't have X? Then I will debate with myself about why I feel the need to attach my identity to anything external, and then I'll fall down the rabbit hole of existentialism, of the ephemerality of things, and of the material world. Sometimes it's like you want to change things, but you feel like you can't get it out where it's like I I want to change but if I do change then how does my identity change and it's so scary to think that your whole identity can change if you just let something go and it's it, it's challenging if somebody told me that I couldn't wear fun shirts because for some reason this is causing roadblocks in meeting people or something maybe they hate my fun shirts then I would probably freak out about it. I would probably be like, no, my fun shirts are fun, and that's what makes me me, and screw those guys. And honestly, the anticipation of change is typically way worse than the change itself. If you told me I can't wear my fun shirts, I will panic. But if I started getting used to boring shirts, and I was wearing boring shirts all the time, I I would get used to it. I would get over it, and it doesn't have to be this whole big thing. Sometimes we just have to come to terms with the fear that comes about and the discomfort that comes about when you are making this new choice, when you are taking on a new path, starting new things, creating new pathways in the brain, breaking patterns. Like these things are so friggin' uncomfortable. And honestly, the longer that we procrastinate doing the things that we need to be balanced, the more difficult it becomes to actually make those changes. The longer you procrastinate, the easier it is to. Just rely on that mental narrative that you've already developed for yourself as to why the change is too difficult, then why the option that you're sticking with sucks less than if you made this change. For me, this lies in, if you've heard the phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Sometimes you become that old dog where you've done something for so long that it takes a lot of evidence for your brain to understand that there's a different path available to you. And that's what your brain needs. Your brain needs evidence in order to make a change. If you've been living with a certain mindset for your entire life, your brain will not make a change unless it sees evidence as to why it's a good thing. Your brain needs evidence to understand why it would suck less than what you are currently doing in order to make this change. Now, shifting to it's not all that bad, is it? Now, if you've been keeping up with my show, you know that we like to talk about self-sabotage in a lens where we talk about the downsides and the setbacks and the consequences, but we also like to talk about the benefits. Why being an avoidant person might also be a good thing for you. It doesn't have to all be a bad thing. When you're an avoidant person, you're the calm in the storm when life puts you down. Maybe you have stacking bills, or maybe you're failing classes, or maybe you're not sure if you're going to graduate, or maybe you really need to break up with somebody and it's been months and you have yet to do it. Your peers are firstly looking at you as if there's absolutely nothing wrong, nothing going on, because you're avoiding the problem and not like panicking about the problem. I'm not suggesting anybody to panic. This is just the benefits of avoidance. And if your peers knew what was actually going on, they would be thinking, how are they so chill? How are they able to have these stacking bills, this dead-end relationship, any of these things, and just be so chill? Because most people can't avoid something as serious as stacking bills or being in a relationship that they know is going nowhere. Another point about avoidance is that it is not indicative of intellect. It's actually indicative of nervous system safety. You're not always an avoider. You know that you can do hard things, but occasionally life does its life thing, and all of the shit hits the fan all at once. Sometimes you have to pick things that, yes, maybe they are a priority, but they can't be a priority this moment. So you have to compartmentalize and avoid them for now so that eventually you can, when you have space, you can get to them. This is when the uncomfy tasks take a sidestep from purview. And the reason why I say it's not indicative of intellect is because occasionally people can view avoidance as laziness. It's not laziness, it's a defense mechanism. Typically people know exactly what it is they need to do, they just don't feel it as a priority yet. And that does not make you lazy. That's just a warning sign that your nervous system does not feel safe to approach a problem yet. Avoidant people are excellent at finding silver linings or positive aspects in difficult situations as a coping mechanism to maintain optimism or hope through things that they're avoiding. Avoidant people have a ton of resilience in the face of challenges, being able to adapt and cope with adversity. Avoidance doesn't have to be entirely a bad thing, but we can also recognize that avoidance can sometimes provide temporary relief or protection, but it may not be a sustainable or healthy long term strategy. It's okay to have some avoidance in you, as long as you're aware of finding long term solutions and not letting things pile up and pile up and pile up until they become a mountain that's feels impossible to climb. It can feed your avoidance even more, it can be difficult to come back from, and then you- that's when you feel like you're lazy and you just didn't take action when you needed to. It's important to take action when you need to, and that doesn't have to mean that it's on somebody else's timeline. It is okay to take space to process, that does not make you abusive. Actually, something that inspired this episode today is that I saw a post on Instagram talking about the abusiveness of the silent treatment. I agree that stonewalling is abusive. I agree that the silent treatment is a terrible thing to experience when you're on the receiving end of it. And it's also, it's not so great to experience when you're on the giving end of it either, and I've been on both sides. But the thing that I really wanted to talk about is that it's not all laced with malice. There is some genuine, benevolent reasoning behind this sometimes. It does not always have to be a bad thing. And personally, for me and my relationships, I like to take space to process my feelings because if I don't take space to process my feelings, I might say something that I really don't mean. I might say something that really hurts somebody's feelings. And if I take this space to process, then I can speak to my feelings in a very clear ABC type of framework type of way. The thing, I can speak about my feelings in the ways that I've learned about in therapy, and I don't need to hurt somebody else's feelings in order for me to feel validated in my own. And when I'm just kind of acting on the feelings that I feel right now and not taking time to process them, explosions can also ensue. So avoidance leads to explosions, but so does speaking about things the moment that they happen, at least for me. And this is why it's just so important to distinct the difference between shutting down emotionally and stonewalling, because those are two very different things. I never, ever shut down for the purpose of hurting somebody's feelings. I actually shut down for the purpose of protecting them, protecting their feelings, and protecting my own. So, this leads to the last little topic here. Should we outgrow our avoidance? The short answer is yes, in the ways that it impacts your relationships, where it jeopardizes opportunities in the future, and where it limits your emotional well-being. But it is not black and white. There is a gray area here where it can be a good thing where it can benefit your relationships by offering space to deal with your rage before you deal with the problem at hand. It can offer space to process your feelings because at least for me, sometimes I get emotional. Maybe it's hormonal. I don't know. But I can be so grumpy about a problem. I'm like, that was the worst thing somebody could possibly do to me. And I need to talk about it. And I need to tell them why that sucked and what to do next time. But then I sleep on the problem and I wake up the next day and I'm like, holy shit, that wasn't a big deal. I was just tired. Or I have a little snacky snack and I'm like, holy shit, I was just hungry. And so this is why for me, not just jumping on my feelings to say, I'm feeling a feeling and so you are responsible to make me not feel this feeling anymore. This is why processing is, a, is important to me. Because sometimes, all of the time, I am responsible for my own feelings, and you are responsible for yours. And if there is something that we can do to make things more symbiotic, we should do that. But we need to do that from a place that is not placing blame, that is not being defensive. I think one of the worst things that we can do in our relationships is be defensive. I think that being defensive limits our ability to be curious. It limits our ability to learn things about ourselves. It limits our ability to learn things about our partners. Being defensive is also shutting down, but it's a more verbal shutdown. My version of shutting down is going quiet. Somebody else shuts down by lashing out, and I don't want to lash out. If I don't process my feelings, I will lash out. So it's important for me to take space, and I've learned that time and time again, that if I don't take space, lash outs happen. Anyway, I'm kind of rambling here. (laughs) Overcoming avoidance requires so much effort, and developing emotional and physical endurance when you're experiencing pain, change, uncertainty, lack of emotional control, or risk. At least for myself, as someone who aims to put as little effort in as possible to reap the highest reward as possible, the goal is not to stop avoidance but to manage it. I practice control with my avoidance by honoring my feelings when I'm having a disagreement with someone I care about that I'm growing a relationship with. So if they said something that really hurt my feelings, they can deal with the consequence of me being angry. It's okay to be angry, and sometimes that's what somebody needs to be able to understand the consequence of their action. People don't want to make you angry, so if they see you angry, (laughs) then they will probably think twice next time before they say something that's a little bit insensitive. That being said, this is a practice for me, so I want to show people if they make me angry, but I do not want to show them my rage. There's a balance there. And I also give my avoidance an outlet when I bite my tongue to avoid an argument with my grandmother. Because she's old, I cherish my time with her, and I love her to bits. But she's done her growing. And that's totally fair. She's in her 70s. She doesn't need to grow anymore. When she says something that I disagree with or doesn't necessarily feel good, I can bite my tongue. I can avoid that argument because we have limited time with the people that we love. And I know that I don't want to spend that time with them arguing. So avoidance can be a good thing, but it doesn't have to control your life. This is the main takeaway here about whether or not we should outgrow our avoidance. We should outgrow avoidance when it hinders our success in the future. We should outgrow it when it impacts our relationships. We do not have to take on every single thing like a bullet train, just running headfirst into the problem and bulldozing everyone else in the vicinity. Sometimes it's okay to take just a breather and say, do I need to react this way? Or is there another way that I can react that will get the same outcome, if not better? Avoidance is here to stay. Everybody will always avoid something. But the way that we manage our avoidance is really the point of this conversation. The ability to have an argument with somebody in your life and know that the world is not going to end is very, very healthy. It's okay to have an argument. It's okay to show somebody your anger. It's okay to have an uncomfortable conversation once in a while. It's actually healthy. It is good to explain your side of the story, even if you're in crying shambles, because I don't know about you, I cry when I'm angry. It's still very, very healthy to let that out. Everybody needs release sometimes, especially when you're building up feelings. But for me, the key practice is to make sure that I'm also managing all of the other things in my life. But it's a practice in managing your big feelings. Sometimes big feelings are a whole can of worms. And if we go into this right now, it's a whole can of worms. Sometimes something could be triggering for me, and it's not wrong what they did but it's if it just feels triggering and that's that's okay that is completely okay but for me there's balance in telling somebody what you did triggered me it wasn't wrong but it triggered me and the balance comes from like when saying these things when telling somebody that i was triggered whether or not telling them that will cause a whole triggered meltdown i don't want to have a whole triggered meltdown if i'm triggered i want to be able to say hey that triggered me and not this is what i look like when i'm triggered <laughs> And maybe, honestly, that that's still a practice in honoring my own vulnerability and allowing myself to let down those walls of what it's like when I'm triggered in front of somebody else. But it doesn't need to happen all of the time. Sometimes it's a very simple, calm conversation of why something was a trigger for you. And it doesn't need to be a whole conversation about the whole history behind the fact that that was a trigger. I hope that makes sense. Now, this episode is coming to a close. We talked about the difference between shutting down and the silent treatment. We talked about how shutting down is procrastinating pain or discomfort. We also talked about some of the benefits of avoidance and how it's not always a bad thing. And we left off with the question, should we outgrow our avoidance? And I want you to think about that question. I have my answer on why it's a gray area. But I want you to think about it as well. Is this something that you can outgrow? Is this something that's part of you? Is this something that can change or is just going to stay the same forever? Is this something that can evolve and stay a part of you? Do you need to attach your identity to being an avoidant person? Do you have the ability to just completely stop avoiding things and face everything head on? I don't know the answer to these questions. You know the answer to these questions, at least for yourself. So. Thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for liking this video. I will catch you next time. Thank you so much for being here with me, and I hope you enjoyed today's topic. Please share your feedback with me on any of my social channels, and remember to subscribe. If you would like to support this show, you can buy me a coffee with the link in the description. With your tip, you get lifetime access to downloadable activity sheets and the warmth in your heart knowing that you're helping a small business. I also have a marketing course called Marketing Mastery, a self-study program. There's no group component, there's only four and a half hours of content that you can do in your own time, and it's packed with info about using platforms like emails and YouTube to grow customer lists and social media to drive traffic to your customer lists. I also have one-on-one marketing consulting services for creative businesses. And if you'd like to discuss how it can help you in your business further, please reach out to me via email. And if you have feedback about my show, please use my social channels. You can find all relevant links in the description below. And thanks again for being with me. And I do hope you come again. Cheers for now.